could. Well, let's pray and ask God to meet us in his word. And then we're going to have a more lengthy worship time at the end. So thank you for what you're doing through Cindy, Lord. And thank you for your grace in Orion's life. And thank you for the opportunity with my neighbor yesterday morning. And Lord, we've all seen you working this last week. We love you, Jesus Christ. Savior, Lord, treasure. And I ask for your help now as we wrap up this series on worship. Would you deeply encourage each of us and help each of us, Lord, I pray. And help me. I I need your help. Give me wisdom. Give me your heart. And uh, do a mighty work through your word, we ask now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's turn to John chapter 4. And if you need a Bible, we always like to say, raise your hand, we'll bring one to you. We'd love you all to be able to have a Bible to open up with and follow along with us. We're passionate here at Mercy Hill about studying the scriptures. John 4 is on page 889 in the Bibles we're passing out. And like I said, we're we're wrapping up today this three-week series on worship. So two weeks ago, we talked about the importance of worship. We saw in John chapter 4 that God's ultimate purpose is to create worshipers of him. That's his passion, which sounds puzzling, but the reason that's God's purpose is because he is a God of love. And the most loving thing God can do for you is to make a way for you to be forgiven through his son Jesus and pour out his Holy Spirit to change your heart so you are forgiven and you become a worshiper. That's the most loving thing God can do for you because your highest joy by a long shot is worshiping God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so God's purpose is to create worshipers because he's a God of love. That was the first week. That's why worship is so important. Then last week we talked about what it means to worship in spirit. What that means is that we must have as part of our worship spirit-given, heartfelt longing for God, pleasure in God, awe, wonder, confession, all the different kinds of spirit-given, heartfelt feelings, passions, desires that the scriptures say need to be part of worship. Remember we said longing for God is one of those, right? So if you're longing for that, that's beautiful work of the Spirit, and God will answer that. But worship must be in spirit. Now I want to give you an example of worship that's powerfully in spirit from church history. Sarah Edwards was the wife of Jonathan Edwards, one of my all-time heroes. And uh, they lived in the England in the 1700s. Jonathan was a missionary to the American Indians. Here's what she wrote in her journal about what happened. Oh, this is really, this is rich. Here's what she said happened one day. When I was alone, I took the Bible and read verses from Romans 8. They were impressed upon my heart. These verses from Romans 8 were impressed upon my heart with great power and sweetness. They appeared to me with undoubted certainty as the words of God and as words which God did pronounce concerning me. I had it strongly impressed on me how impossible it was for anything in heaven or on earth, in this world or in the future, ever to separate me from the love of God which was in Christ Jesus. That's the theme of Romans 8, right? My safety and happiness 
and eternal enjoyment of God's love seemed as durable and unchangeable as God himself. And she goes on. Melted and overcome by the sweetness of this assurance, I fell into a great flow of tears and could not stop weeping aloud. It appeared certain to me that God was my Father and Christ my Lord and Savior, that He was mine and I His. And this next line is just really powerful. Can we do the next slide? Thank you. Okay. It appeared certain to me, I already read this, that God was my Father and Christ my Lord and Savior, that He was mine and I His. And he says, the presence of God was so near and so real that I seemed scarcely conscious of anything else. That's that's some powerful worship in spirit, right? Spirit-given, heartfelt longings, passions, feelings, the experience of God's very presence. This was worship in spirit. But now notice, did you notice what created, what caused this worship? What was she doing when this worship took place? She was reading verses from Romans chapter 8. She was worshiping the truth of God as revealed in Romans chapter 8. She was worshiping in truth. Because Jesus said worship must be both in spirit and in truth. Worship in truth propels and creates and empowers worship in spirit. That's why Jesus said, got to have both. Authentic worship has both worship in spirit and worship in truth. That's what he taught in John chapter 4. So let's take a look at what he says here. And here's the context of the passage. We've covered this for a couple weeks, but one more time. Jesus in this passage is talking to a Samaritan woman. And the Samaritans, they lived in the central part of Palestine, And uh, they were Israelites who had been conquered, taken over, and then intermarried with Assyrian people, foreigners. And as they intermarried, they also adopted their idolatrous worship. That got sewn in to their true worship and ended up taking over their true worship. And so they stopped, for example, taking their offerings to Jerusalem to offer worship to God. And instead, they built a temple on Mount Gerizim, and there they worshipped God. There's idolatrous worship on Mount Gerizim. And so in verse 20, she asks Jesus this question, given that whole background of where to worship. Verse 20, she says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, that is Mount Gerizim in Samaria. She's speaking about the Samaritans, our fathers, her her, her lineage, worshipped on this mountain, that is Mount Gerizim. But you, Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And then Jesus answers and gives some of the most powerful teaching on worship we have from him. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will will, will people worship the Father. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We, speaking of Israelites, worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
So for worship to be true, it must be both in spirit and in truth. Now again, to worship in spirit means there's spirit-given, heartfelt, longing, passion, pleasure, worship of God. That's what it means to worship in spirit. But worship in spirit's not enough. There also must be worship in truth. So what does it mean to worship in truth? What does that mean? One of the reasons Jesus emphasizes that is because in this passage he says that the Samaritan woman, he tells her, your worship is not in truth. Look at verse 22. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. Here's what that means. You Samaritans worship, that is at some level, you think that you're paying homage to the one true God. That's what you're, you're thinking you're doing, but you're worshiping something you don't know. You don't know the one true God. You don't know the one true God. So their worship was not in truth, because worship must be towards the, the true God. And now that might just raise a question. In our culture today, with the pluralism and the relativism that's here, you might think, well, okay, but let's be fair. How can anybody know who the one true God is? Right? I mean, Hindus today are worshiping Brahman. Right? Last Friday, there's mosques in Santa, you know, this area where they're worshiping Allah. So Hindus worship Brahman and, and Muslims worship Allah. And, and then you Christians, you worship God as revealed in Jesus Christ. So who's to say who the one true God is? How could anyone know who the one true God is? I mean, how can you worship in truth? It's a fair question to raise. Jesus says her worship is not in truth, but how can anyone know who the one true God really is so you can worship him? Look what Jesus says in verse 22. Here's how we can know. Read all of verse 22. He says, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. You don't know the one true God. We worship what we know. We do know the true God, for salvation is from the Jews. Now, he's not saying Jews are racially superior to anyone. When he says salvation is from the Jews, what he's saying is that God has chosen, thousands of years ago, he chose a nation, the nation of Israel, to be the the means by which he would reveal to all the world who he is. He didn't choose Israel because they were better. Okay, In fact, he says, you're the smallest nation and you're a stiff-necked people. They were small and they were sinful. Okay, No more sinful than anybody else, All right, but no better than anybody else. He just simply chose them to be the way to display, to reveal to the nations who he is. That's what he means. Salvation is from the Jews. God has revealed himself to humanity through Israel. So we don't need to search and seek and gosh, I wish I could find where God is. He's come. He's revealed himself to us through Israel. Think about how he did this. Abraham, 2,000 years before Christ, God revealed his plan for the whole world. He said, Abraham, through your lineage, Every people group in the earth is going to have people in it to experience my saving work through your lineage. And who is that? Jesus. Okay, we're we're going to get there in a second. Then 500 years later, about 1500 BC, God revealed his reality, his power, his sovereignty, his justice, his mercy by delivering Israel from Egypt, from their slavery in Egypt. Mighty signs and wonders. All the nations could see, hear, read about. Everybody was talking about it. God delivered Israel from Egypt. Revelation. Through Israel, he revealed who he was. In the context of of Israel, he revealed how every, every nation could have their sins forgiven through 
this picture of animal sacrifices. If you sinned, you'd bring a lamb to the temple, you'd cut its throat and kill it. A lamb being punished as a symbol for your sins was a picture of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who would soon come. Here's this display. Here's how every nation can have their sins be forgiven. Then all through the Old Testament, God promised that the day would come when he would come to the earth himself. God with us, born of a virgin, fully God, fully man, the Messiah, as the supreme revelation of who God is. The Messiah would come, would die on the cross to pay for our sins, would rise from the dead, victorious conqueror. All through the Old Testament, through the Israelite scriptures, God said, I'm going to come. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God in the flesh. And then that happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus came. And this is the supreme revelation. Through Israel, through Israel, through Israel. Then, boom! Spotlight. Jesus Christ, God here, walking the earth. You could see him. You could touch him. He's turning five loaves and... How many loaves? Five loaves and two fish into food for 5,000, right? He's healing a blind man. He's raising Lazarus from the dead. He's calling out the Pharisees on their hypocrisy. He's clearing out the temple from money changers. He's being nailed to a cross, paying for our sins. He's rising from the dead, victorious warrior, crystal clear revelation. We don't need to search for you. I wonder who God is. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. God says, here I am. Look at me. I am God in the flesh. Forgiveness, life, heart-changing work, heart-satisfying presence of the Holy Spirit. God has revealed himself to us. We don't need to wonder how we can know who the true God is. It's clear. And all that revelation from creation through Israel to the coming of Jesus, you are holding God's very revelation in your hands. It's here in the words of Scripture. Do you understand that? Mwah! you got to love this book. The very words of God, God, your creator, has revealed himself to the nations clearly, and you're holding in your hands the words which clearly teach what that revelation is. So we don't need to say, I wish I could know who the true God was. It's not that we're any better. We know. If you're trusting Jesus Christ, you know. And man, let's tell people about it, right? You know. You know. That's another sermon for another time. We're talking about worshiping right now. So that's how we can worship in truth. Because God has revealed himself to us clearly through Jesus Christ, and we're holding that whole revelation in our hands, in the Bible. Now, let's say that tomorrow at work, you're talking to a fellow work associate who, who had an amazing, they tell you, I had an amazing spiritual experience this last weekend. I was driving uh, you know, along the coast up towards Davenport Highway 1, and, and all of a sudden the clouds opened and the sun shone, and I felt God's love was pouring out upon me. I felt his warmth and his care, and I heard him saying, you can come to me in all kinds of ways. Hindus can come to me through Hinduism and Buddhists through Buddhism and Muslims through Islam and Christians through Jesus. I'm just big and you can go to me in all kinds of ways. And, and they tell you, as I was hearing this, I was just feeling the warmth and the love of God and the security. It was an awesome thing. Was that worship in truth? Sadly, it was not. Sadly, not that... The reason it's sadly is because of the deception. Now, we don't know. It must just be this person. It might, might be satanic deception. We don't know what's going on. You need to be very careful and wise in how you would communicate this to them. Right? But see, that's not worship in truth because it's not in sync 
with what Jesus Christ, the supreme revelation of God, said, John 14, 6. I am the way, he said. The truth. The life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Because the only way we can be forgiven for our sins is if all the guilt for my sin is transferred onto Jesus and is punished in Jesus on the cross, and his perfect righteousness is given to me and clothes me like a robe, and that exchange happens by one way, faith alone, in Christ alone. It's the only way it works. And so that worship experience was not worship in truth. Worship must be in truth, which means it needs to be in sync with the truth of God as he has revealed himself through Israel, supremely through Jesus, and as recorded in the scriptures. That's what it means to worship in truth. Now, I want us next to dig a little deeper then into this question. How can truth help our worship? How does truth help our worship? We want to meet God. We want to experience God's very presence. I want just a, like a taste of what Sarah Edwards experienced in that earlier quote, okay? I want to feel God, know God, experience God, see God, experience God's love put into my heart. All the things the scriptures say can happen. I want that. How does truth help that happen is the question I want to raise. And I want to raise this because we live in a, in a culture now where people are not as excited about truth. Very excited about experiencing things, feeling things, not as, not as excited about truth. And this can kind of seep into the church. So in the church today, we're much more excited about experiencing God, feeling God. We're not quite as excited about truth about God. It's just kind of the trend of our culture, and it, it, it seeps into us and it affects us. But what I want you to understand is that we cannot experience a powerful, heartfelt worship of God without truth. Let me give you a scripture. I'm going to show you this. Galatians 3.5 is one of the most clear ones on this topic for me. It's page 973 in your Bibles. Go ahead and turn there. Galatians chapter 3, verse 5. It's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So Galatians, way back to the right, chapter 3, verse 5. The more truth we have about God, the more powerful our worship will be. That's Galatians 3.5. Look at what Paul says. He says to the Galatian believers, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Let's just unpack that now. So God supplies the Spirit to us. God is a God who loves to pour out His Spirit. And one of the works of the Holy Spirit that God loves to pour out is that of giving us worship and enables us to worship in spirit. So we are feeling God's love poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And we're tasting joy unspeakable and full of glory, like Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 8. And we're drinking of living waters and all of our heart thirsts are being quenched, like Jesus says in John 6.35, John 7.37-39. So God provides the Spirit. He provides the Spirit. And one aspect of that is worship. Here's the million-dollar question. How does God provide the Spirit? Is it by works of the law? It's like if you didn't eat bacon for breakfast, things are looking good for you today during worship. You know, Old Testament works of the law. Is that how he does it? No, okay. How he does it is by what? Hearing with faith. So there is something that we do by which or through which, through whom, 
God provides the the work of the Holy Spirit. As we hear God's truth with faith, God, in that setting, provides the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that from this passage? Does he then who provides the Spirit and works miracles among you, how does he do that? Is it by works of the law? No, it's by hearing with faith. Yes. So as you hear the truth of God's word with faith, that's the means, the means of grace by which God provides you with the Holy Spirit. More of the work of the Spirit, including the work of deeply touching and impacting your heart in worship. Do you see that in that verse? Does that make sense? Okay, can I move on now? Is that, you got that? All right, now. Let me give you some examples. Uh, look at Psalm 95, 1 through 5. This is exactly what the psalmist encourages us to do in Psalm 95, 1 through 5. Take a look there. That's page 499 in the Bibles we just passed out. Truth, hearing God's truth with faith, moves God to provide more of the work of the Spirit in enlivening and capturing us in worship. Psalm 95, look at 1 and 2. Here's an invitation to rich experience of worship. He says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence, his experienced presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. So here's an invitation. Come, let's, let's worship, let's rejoice, let's praise, let's shout. This is a spirit-drenched experience of worship we're being invited into in verses 1 and 2. But you can't just turn joy on like all of a sudden... Ah, worship, you know, right? You can't just all of a sudden praise. I mean, it's like, what if you're feeling low? What if you're feeling discouraged? It takes the work of the Holy Spirit to change our hearts, to reveal to us who Jesus is. So if God's going to provide us with the Spirit and make verses 1 and 2 happen, we need to hear with faith. And in verses 3 through 5, the psalmist gives us Truth we can hear with faith, which will produce the worship of verses 1 and 2. Look at verses 3 through 5. Notice that word for, because. Here's the truth then that will propel that worship in verses 1 and 2. Because for the Lord is a great God. So the psalmist wants us, how do I praise? How do I thank? How do I have joy? Okay, the Lord is a great God. Hear that with faith. Mull that over. And he is a great king above all gods. Every other god, so-called god, every idol, he's king above your work problems, he's king above your financial stresses, he's king above your weaknesses, he's king above your sins. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also, the sea is his for he made it, his hands formed the dry land. It's all his So verses 3 through 5 are truth that the psalmist wants to give us, which will result then in God providing the Spirit and experiencing, helping us experience verses 1 and 2. Do you see how that works? Truth. Spirit and truth. Here's another way of thinking about it. Remember last week I talked about how worship is like traveling through that tunnel right before you get to Yosemite Valley. Remember that one? Okay. And you emerge out of that tunnel and then boom, there it is. All right, you see the green valley in front of you. You see the sheer granite walls of El Capitan on your left. And I think, is it, is it Cathedral Rock over on your right? Half Dome's down at the center, right? Okay, so it's all there. So you drive out that tunnel, boom, you get out of your car, it's Vista Point, and you feel awe and pleasure and wonder and joy, right? You're feeling it. Now, think about this. 
Where do those feelings of awe and wonder and joy and pleasure come from? They come from seeing Yosemite Valley in front of you. They come from seeing the, the truth of Yosemite Valley. They didn't just like crop up out of nowhere. They came from you seeing the truth of Yosemite. And that's how it is in worshiping God. We start with the truth of God, like, say, Galatians 2.20. Jesus loved me and gave himself up for me. And so you, you, you see that, you look at that, you think about that. Jesus Christ, God, you've always been. You always will be. You're sovereign over everything. Everything was created through you, Jesus Christ. And you, Jesus Christ, you loved me. And you paid with your blood on the cross for me. And so you, you think the truth about who Jesus is. It's like you're seeing Yosemite. And as you think the truth of who Jesus is, the Holy Spirit will move. He'll, he'll breathe in on you. He will move in on you. And you'll start to feel wonder and humility and awe and glory and the very presence of God will come upon you. God will provide the Spirit as you hear with faith. That's how truth helps worship. But see, too often, believers just you know, try to experience God in powerful worship with, without, without truth. So it's like, oh God, come. So they pray, meet us. We want more of your presence. We're longing for you. Come upon us. Pour out your Spirit. Asking, asking, asking. But see, if the book stays closed, if there's no truth, there's not going to be any worship. It's, it's like you're, you're back, way back in the tunnel at Yosemite. And you're hearing way out there all this, ooh, ah, and you're thinking, how's that happen? I'm not feeling anything. Well, you've got to come out of the tunnel and see Yosemite, right? And it just grieves me when believers are like, they're back in the tunnel saying, I want to see it. I want to feel it. I want to know you. And the truth is like, they could walk up the hill. It's out there, but God's not going to meet me today. You've got to move out of the tunnel and you've got to see the glory of God is revealed in Yosemite Valley, in the cross, and everything. Does that make sense? Okay. So it's like we want to be captured by the beauty of Yosemite Valley, but we stay back in the tunnel. No, 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 no. And, and there's people who think that too much truth can quench worship. That's like thinking that too much seeing of Yosemite Valley is going to ruin your experience of Yosemite Valley. Are you kidding me? Impossible. The more you see, the more like, ooh, and no, all, let's hunt, like, let's drive around the valley now and see it up close. Let's like really get like right below El Capitan and say, whoa, right? That's what Jan and I did last Christmas, whenever it was. Okay, so the more you see of the truth of who God is, the more you will have the Spirit provided and you will respond with Worship. So truth is absolutely essential. Think about David. David was one of the premier worshipers in the Old Testament, right? Danced before the Lord with all of his might. I would have loved to see that. Okay? Had times where he said, My soul is satisfied as with food as with fat and rich food, and my mouth is praising you with joyful lips because I, I, I I'm worshiping you. He he knew in your presence there's fullness of joy. David knew worship in spirit. Now, is it any coincidence that this same David meditated on God's word day and night? and memorized the scriptures and said, I love your word more than thousands of gold and silver pieces? Is there any coincidences? I think not. There's no coincidence there. 
because he's hearing with faith and God's providing the Spirit. He's hearing with faith and God's providing the Spirit. See, I want to really press this because some of you are discouraged in worship. It's just not happening for me. And there can be other factors. Sometimes God withholds his hand out of love for us to deepen our hunger. That happens sometimes, okay? That's the reason sometimes. Or it could be sin, okay? There could be different reasons. So I'm not, I'll be simplistic here. It's not just like one, you know, one, one cure-all for everything. But for many of you, I would encourage you, as you hear with faith, God will provide the Spirit and enable you to worship. That's what he will do. So, not only will truth not quench our experience of worship, the more we know the truth of God as revealed in the scriptures, the more powerful our worship will be. Truth is not against worship. Truth is the fuel for worship. It's like if you want to build a hot fire of worship, truth is the logs. Right? You can do your match. There's no logs there. It's like, oh. Oh. I'll try again next Sunday. Logs. Logs are really helpful if you want a fire. In fact, like, what about like a thousand logs? <laughs> right? Okay, picture it like this. Another illustration. Are you getting the point here? Okay, good. Not yet. Not, not, not enough. One more. Um, okay, spirit and truth. Picture a la- let's Let's say that worship is like climbing high into, the, into, into God's glory. So the higher, the more you're experiencing God's glory. Now, truth is like a ladder. So there's a ladder here. That's truth. And spirit is like your energy to climb the ladder. Okay? If all you've got is truth and no spirit, no heart, no hunger, no, no energy to climb the ladder, so if, if there's a ladder here and you have no energy, you're not climbing the ladder, how high are you going to get? Not high, Okay? This is not, not, not rock and science. Okay? You're not going to get very high. So if there's a ladder and no hunger, no energy to climb, you're not going to get very high. What if there's no ladder, but you've got lots of spirit? <laughs> Dog, something's happening here. How high are you going to get if there's spirit and no ladder? How high will you get? Okay, see? This is how easy this is. This is really easy. But if you have spirit, hunger for God, and then you climb up the ladder, you set your heart on the truth of God's word, you're hearing with faith, what will God do? He will provide the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the higher you climb with Spirit, climbing the truth, you'll experience the heights of beholding God's glory in the face of Christ. One other way of thinking about it. The more truth you know, this is just how it is, all else being equal, okay, the more truth of who of God and, and the word that you know, the more powerful your worship will be. Like, if your ladder has two rungs, okay, you, it's better than no rungs, better than no ladder, that's good, but if your ladder has ten rungs, okay, you're going to have more powerful worship. All else being equal, the more truth about God you know and can ponder and can bring before your mind and heart like at four in the morning when you wake up and you're worried about work or something, the more truth of God that you know, the, the higher your worship can be. Okay? That's how truth helps us with worship. Now, let me give you 
three ways to worship in truth, and then let's do it right here and right now, okay? Three suggestions. First, study God's word on your own. Study God's word on your own, okay? Do you have a regular pattern of reading the scriptures? Logs for the fire, right? Get more logs. Get more logs for your for the fire of worship. Do you know more truth about God this year than you did last year? And if so, all else being equal, your worship of God will be more powerful, heart-satisfying, experiential, rich than it was last year. Okay? It's just the way it is. Study God's word on your own. Second, as you worship, pray for the Spirit to give you wisdom and and heart revelation of, of the truth. So pray. Remember last week we used the illustration, you drive out that tunnel, there's Yosemite in front of you, but sometimes fog can drift in, so all you see is fog, gray fog. Okay, I'm not seeing it. And that fog, can, that's what happens to us with worship. I mean, the truth is there, but it's like I'm just not seeing it. Like there's a fog of maybe my own weariness. Uh, there can be a fog of, of worry about something, right? There can be a fog of sin. Any, there's, you know, all kinds of fog. But when we ask God to come, help me, help me by the work of your Holy Spirit, he will, and that fog will blow away. You've experienced this, haven't you? And all of a sudden, I see, yes, Yosemite, the fog's gone. And so pray, ask for the work of the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and heart revelation. And then third, as you worship, set your heart on the truth of who God is. Okay, look at Yosemite Valley. Look, okay, there it is, Yosemite. Look at Yosemite Valley. Open your Bible and look at Yosemite Valley. Look at the truth of God. In the, in the lyrics, that, that, that uh, in the songs that Dave's chosen, full of truth. Look at those truths. Ponder them. Think about them. Pray over them. Look at the truth that's expressed in prayers that people pray. Okay, the Holy Spirit's moving, he's working, there's prayers. Oh, yes, yes, I'm going to think, yes, that's good. Okay, Think about the truths that are being communicated through the scripture as we teach here Sunday morning, where spiritual gifts are shared. So think about the truth. Don't just say, God, come. God, I'm not feeling you. I'm not, it's not happening. Come, help me. Do that. Ask for him to come. And then look at Yosemite. That's how it works. And as you do that, as you hear with faith, as you open up God's word and hear with faith, prayerfully, God will provide the Spirit. And you will see Him, sense His glory, taste His goodness. You will feel God's love pouring into your heart by the Holy Spirit, as Paul says in Romans 5. You'll experience the spirit of adoption, by which by, uh, the Holy Spirit testifying with our spirits, you're a daughter of God. You're a son of God through faith in Christ adopted in. You'll have joy unspeakable and full of glory, 1 Peter 1.8. You'll have all of your heart hungers and thirsts quenched with the the bread of life, the living water of Jesus' very presence. That's what will happen. So let's have the the team coming up here. But any any questions before we move into worship? I want to make sure. I like to open up for questions in case I've overstated something or just said something wrong. I hope not, but anyway, help me. It's possible. Am I I tracking with the scriptures right here? Does it make sense? Oh, 
what a great... So the Pharisees had the whole Old Testament memorized. What were they doing wrong? Okay? What were they doing wrong? Truth but no spirit. Right? They were seeking... If I memorize this chapter, I don't think this is an overstatement. If I memorize this next chapter, I'm going to have more memorized than, you know, Ahab over here. Right? And that, what, were they, what they were seeking was impressing other people with their knowledge. So you've got to understand the Pharisees did not know God. Period. They didn't know God. They had turned the Old Testament into a way of strutting their spiritual stuff before other people. And I'll be hard on them because... I can do the same thing and so can you, okay? We're not immune to that. I'm not immune to that. They didn't know God. And so they had Old Testament memorized, but there was no spirit. Okay? They weren't hearing with faith either. They were hearing to impress, not hearing to trust the living God. Does that make sense? I'm, 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 hearing, I'm hearing do-its here, okay? Okay, so, and, and given our church, I would say, you know, I would encourage you, there, there's, there's a more lengthy teaching about not being distracting, right? Okay, and, and not, not becoming the center of attention. So there's, there's things I could say that would be a, an important point of caution. But given us here, I'll just say, flow with it, okay? Because, you know, the dancing hasn't been too intensely focused on me lately, all right? So there's always, there's always more to be said about these things. 1 Corinthians um, 12 is the key passage where we don't want to do anything that distracts people from the Lord. Okay, so that's, that's another, another thing to bring in there too. Love your questions. Anybody else? Okay, let me pray. And let me, let's just ask God to come now. Lord, we, first of all, we're humbled before you because we know in ourselves we, we're incapable of worshiping. You've got to have your Holy Spirit working in our hearts. There's worries, there's distractions, there's fears, there's pride, there's sin, there's weariness. We're prone to wander. We feel it, Lord. Come now, I pray. I ask for me and I ask for each of us. Let's put everything else aside and see you. Bring the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Blow the fog away. And then don't let us stay back in the tunnel, but help us to see you, to think of you that our minds and hearts should be hearing the truth of who you are with faith. Come and do that, God, I pray. I plead with you, Lord, for me and for us. We want to glorify you by having our hearts be just set on fire with love for Jesus Christ. Forgive us for lukewarmness. Forgive us for complacency. Send the fire of your Holy Spirit into these hearts. Light the logs of truth on fire. And transform us, Lord, as we see you and worship you now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you, Lord Jesus Christ. We love your mercy for us on the cross. We love that you are the image of the invisible God, supreme over all creation. We praise you that through your death on the cross, through your resurrection, we can be forgiven and can be transformed into worshipers and can taste in this life the highest joy of the universe, beholding you, loving you, worshiping you. In a fresh way, Lord, now we want to turn away from everything else we've been pursuing to satisfy us. And we want to, in a fresh way, commit, Lord, to 
trust in you, seeking you as our heart treasure, our all-satisfying treasure. You are the prize, Jesus Christ. We praise you that by the gift of your spirit we can taste of what we're going to be experiencing in full measure in heaven. And we want to press into that deeper, more faithfully, more earnestly. And so thank you that you help us and you invite us and you give us everything we need. Thank you for the gift of worship. Thank you for the cross, for the empty tomb, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you've created us to worship you. We love you for that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.